0: you could take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44. I'd like to read through a section. I'm uh, continuing. as the second sermon in the uh, sermon I, I started with last time on appreciating God's good things. And uh, so... I think you'll find this passage very helpful isaiah forty four um, we're going to read verses nine through twenty. I'll pray Lord thank you for this opportunity to spend time in your word and to be uh, uh hearing the the thoughts that I've put together, Lord from scripture and and I pray and ask that it would be beneficial to each listener here, and as we just sang, that the seeds of truth would fall on uh, the heart, hearts and soil, and uh, grow; that it would grow a hundredfold. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, Luke, uh, Isaiah 44, 9 through 20: All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are are only human. Let them all assemble, let them stand forth, they shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He, he shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with, a, with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He, he takes part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. And he also, also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it, in, he makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat, he roasts it and is satisfied, and he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it, and he prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes, so that they cannot see in their hearts, so that he cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? You may be seated. Last time, this sermon was about how God created all things good. I I called those things His nouns, persons, places, and things. And I said that we as Christians ought to try to see the good in them. For that is mankind's assignment. We are supposed to be the foremost appreciators of God's goodness. You think about that we are supposed to be the foremost appreciators of god's goodness so whether the noun is of the more natural order okay created order like say a squirrel or green peas or the sun the wind the angel gabriel hillary clinton and elon musk or if those things are from the man made concoctions such as AstroTurf and pizza and Haiti and Paris and a piano. There's good in in all things. For God's work is found in everything. Now, appreciation, it's required. It's required of us. But so is discernment. Since the fall of Adam, sin and brokenness has left a mark on all these good things. Sin has altered and corrupted our mission to be God's foremost appreciators. Sin in the world and sin in ourselves. And when we see or hear too much of sin, we tend to become unappreciative. And discernment, or what I called last time being critically minded, that can devolve. It can it can go backwards and turn us into people who who are simply black and white criticizers. We criticize everything or can. It's too easy to be negative about the world around us. Too easy we criticize anything and everything oprah winfrey nats las vegas school choice and it's usually because we're fed we're fed the bad about them by the news or our favorite talk radio personality or podcaster late breaking late breaking news from gaza gaza strip or the most recent absurdity coming from California. Or that Bill Gates has spent more money to fund some secret atrocity. Or why, why Big Pharma doesn't want a cure for cancer. We go on and on and on and on and on. The reports and the talking heads that bring them to us They can be our daily diet if we let them, breakfast, lunch, supper. We get filled up with negativity, like a child who only eats sweets. And though we don't personally really think about it, though we don't personally experience most of these things, these terrible things, Though they play no real part of our life, we still dwell on them. We like hearing about those things. Sin or things purported to be sin become, for us then all of a sudden in our normal daily life, they become like the monsters we have to fight. But we never really fight them. We just talk about fighting them. It'd be different if we actually fought them. Instead, we walk around like a hammer, nailing, hitting all the sins of the world that are, as if they were nails. Everything we hear, that's bad. Hammer, hammer, criticize, 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 criticize. Yet that's backwards. It's a backwards way of approaching God's world, his things. It's our responsibility to do hard work, to do the hard and tender work even of appreciation and to let go this lazy approach of becoming a hypercritical hammer. Why? Because God made all things and he called them good. And we we have to acknowledge that or we're not being responsible. This doesn't mean we ignore sin and atrocity. People are fallen. They do wrong. They have evil thoughts and act upon them, including you. Secondly, we know that places and things are are not as they're supposed to be. And so even though we are told to appreciate God's creation, we wonder whether it is possible to see any goodness at all. So last sermon I introduced the alternative to being a critical person. I said we should become critically minded people. We should combine the hard work of appreciating God's good in things with the discerning work of being critically minded about them. What's the difference? What's the difference between being a critical person and being critically minded? I suggest it's this. It's carefulness. You've got to be careful. It's charitableness. You ought to be charitable. It is to make it your concern to make it your concern not to trample flowers when you're trying to pull weeds. It's to get the setting right on the power spray washer so that you do not power spray the side of your house down to bare wood. And I'll tell you something you should think about more than anything. It is to guard someone's reputation and not turn it into mud because you disagree with their politics or with their religious persuasion. Look, you, you, you can clean a child's dirty face without scrubbing his skin off. But it takes intention, it takes carefulness, it takes a charitable demeanor. Last time I mentioned if men and women had invented or discovered something from God's creation, then it too, it too, must have goodness in it. Here's the reason. You and I cannot create apart from his raw materials. It follows, then, that there will be goodness in the things we make. Even in a three-year-old's coloring page, there's goodness. And if there is some goodness in all that mankind can invent or discover, then you and I should be able to show some, some sign of appreciation for it, like a mom would. Remember, God made the entire creation and called it good, including angels and people. And for that reason, I suggest to you this morning that it's not possible, I say it's not possible, for men and women to take God's things and so corrupt them and pervert them that the thing itself loses all semblance of good. So people might do bad things over the internet, right? But that does not make the internet bad. There may be some nasty shows on television, but that does not make TV evil. And I know, does anyone even have a TV today in the same way? Socialism, as I had mentioned to someone last week, as a political solution, might be wrong-headed, it certainly is. By the way, it steals from people and sucks initiative from the breast of a productive person, but this does not mean that, that caring for the disadvantage is misguided, that's a good thing. You'll see some good, a motivation in, 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 in it. So here's a good rule to keep in mind as you work toward appreciation and critical mindedness. If men and women, if men and women and the things and places they have invented or discovered, if men and women and the things and places they have invented or discovered are indeed from God's raw materials, then each must have goodness in it, and it's up to you and me to appreciate that. I think that rationale will guard us from making some mistakes by sweeping good things away with the bad. As I warned last time, Christ and his church does not need a bunch more people going around criticizing everyone and everything. But we could use a ton more appreciators who apply a charitable and careful critical-mindedness to the world and everything in it. We need people who will humbly discern what is truly bad and then take constructive action to try and bring about a change in the thing that is bad. And the key words are humbly and constructive and action. I'm going to read the sentence again because I, don't, I, don't, I think we missed the second part of it. We need people who will humbly discern what is truly bad and then take constructive action to try and bring about a change in the thing that is bad. Critical person doesn't worry about the boots on the ground part. I want to focus just on things for a moment, specifically inventions, man's inventions, creations, right? And last time I read a list, it was a short list, um, and the list was meant just to get your mind rolling toward critical-mindedness. Are these things good or bad is the question. And keep in mind that each one is made from God's raw materials. So, air balloons, I'm just going to repeat some of it, air conditioning, airplanes, alcoholic beverages, beverages, aluminum foil, anemometer, answering machines, antiseptics, artificial heart asphalt, aspirin, assembly line, astroturf, ATM, atomic bomb, audio tape recording, automatic doors, automobile, baby carriage, bakelite, ballpoint pens, ballistic missile, band-aid, barcodes, barbed wire, Barbie doll, barometer, baseball, basic, basketball, battery, beds, beer, Bells, blenders, big pens, bicycle, bifocals, bikini, bingo biofilters, biometrics, blue jeans, board games, bulletproof vests, boilers, boomerang, bra, braces, brush, bubble gum, bulldozer, Bunsen burner, and on and on. OK. Maybe the question to consider is not, are those things good or bad? Which certainly you can ask that question, but better. Can you take that list and can a person, can mankind, so corrupt one of those things, so corrupt one of those things, part of God's creation, that the thing is fully perverted and fully useless? Cast it aside. Or, as I suggested, must all things have some goodness in them? St. Augustine he he was pretty insistent. He said this, and just listen to the words. It's a short sentence. It says, "There is no vice, okay, like sin, bad behavior. There is no vice so clean, contrary to nature, that it obliterates even the faintest traces of nature." What have got? What Augustine meant by, by that was that no matter how bad a person acted, he or she could never take away completely completely the goodness of God's creative work in them. You would still be able to see their humanity like your worst culprit. you'll still be able to see their humanity. You can never completely erase what God created, no matter how monstrous the sin. And I think right now you consider some people pretty monstrous. I suggest that same thought, right? can be applied to every person, your greatest enemy, the worst dictator. I suggest the same thought can be applied to every person, but also to every place and to everything. You can always see some semblance of good. So there is value to be found in aluminum foil There's goodness in the Band-Aid and blue jeans. Baseball is somehow a gift of God's. So are audio tape recordings and gum. Indeed, if by looking hard enough, you can see the goodness in anything upon the earth, why do you want to spend so much time calling out all the bad? This doesn't mean we give a sink. We give sinful things a pass. We just need a better perspective. Certainly, things have been soiled and used inappropriately. Certainly, things have been often ruined when men get their hands on them. And they, people try to use things for their own sinful purposes, good things for sinful purposes. We pervert, we corrupt. And Christian, the people and places you probably like the least are the greatest offenders of the things that are good. The people and places you like the least or frown upon are probably the greatest contaminators of the goodness of God. But learn how to Appreciate. Though a sinful man murders someone with a butter knife, right? The great good in the knife is that it allows you to spread peanut butter and jelly. The knife is not corrupt, but people can sin with it. That's pretty easy, but what about a bikini? A bikini. Is there goodness in a bikini? It's made of cloth. It covers select areas of the female body. God determined at the fall that people should cover up their bodies and not go around naked in non intimate situations. Females usually wear a bikini in order to cover those locations. A bikini is not bad because it covers those areas. That's not bad. A bikini is actually then good because it covers those areas. You're not done asking questions in your head yet, probably, about the bikini. I think the question has to to wonder, has someone invented the bikini in order to promote sin with it? Or can people use bikinis for corrupt and sinful purposes? Maybe a bikini is better for intimate circumstances. Do you see how some things become more difficult to evaluate? How about the atomic bomb? Where's God's goodness to be found in that invention or discovery? In what civilized world is it proper to devastate and destroy countless people's places and things, almost indiscriminately? It kills to the borders of the blast's radius, and then beyond, it kills by its after-effects. Oh, but the goal is to be charitable in our critical-mindedness. We have to honor the Son of God for all the good that he intended and appreciate his created things, as Colossians 1.16 teaches. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. That being said, we must be very humble and careful about the things we call evil. Satan himself is described, right, as having wonderful attributes. You can appreciate things about Satan and should. But he is someone who ruined himself by sin. We certainly should recognize that. What about hell? What good is there in a place like that? I can tell you it serves God's purpose as a way of dealing with persons like the devil. That's good. So Isaiah 44, I think it can help us to see the good in a thing. And what better invention of man or of men to evaluate than one whose sole purpose, the sole purpose of this invention is to inspire sin. It's the idol Where's the good to be found in an idol? Take a look at Isaiah 44, 9 through 11. It says, all who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who would speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a god and casts an idol which can profit him nothing? He and his kind will be put to shame. Craftsmen are nothing but men. them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and infamy. You know God's second commandment, right? It's uh, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You also, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I think this this invention of an idol is perhaps the one instance where men and women can make something out of God's creation that God tells them emphatically that what they are making is worthless and shameful. Is there no goodness to be found in the idol? No. For in this case, the making of the idol is the sin. The making of the idol is the sin. God tells us not to do it. We sin by inventing. We sin by the making of the idol. Just as we sin when we worship an idol that was made for us by somebody else. Both things are sinful. It is Isaiah who warns of God's coming judgment way back in chapter 2, verse 20. In, he says this there In that day, men will throw away to the rodents and bats their idols of silver and idols of gold, which they made to worship. There is no good in the making of an idol, it is by definition worthless and shameful because of the act of making it, it is perhaps the one invention of men where God says it has no worth. Yet even the idol has elements of God's handiwork in it. Craftsmen, okay, craftsmen with skills given to them by their creator have made it. Also, artisans used God's raw materials. In essence, they put their skills to work to serve sin. Look at what it says starting in verse 12. It says, The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker he roughs it out with chisel and chisels and marks it with compasses he shapes it in the form of man of man in all his glory that it may dwell in a shrine he cut down cedars or perhaps a cypress or oak he let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow so you can see god's goodness in these things Hammers are being used, chisels and compasses are being employed. The discovery of forging metals, using pressure with fire in the coals is a wonderful gift from the Creator. We also see that different types of trees are utilized, cedar, cypress, and oak. The carpenter and blacksmith are also planning, they're strategizing. All these things speak to the goodness of God, but men are harnessing these good gifts for evil. This is where critical-mindedness is required. We're supposed to look at something that God has given us and call it good, and we should. However, when man uses a thing in a form or fashion to further experience his own sin, then we should see that for what it is as well. That is wickedness. And it is necessary that we call it what it is. It's okay to say that the president has done a wicked thing. It's okay to say that my father has done a wicked thing and confront the president or confront the father and on and on. A person can appreciate, however, the historical development and proper use of atomic, uh, automatic weaponry. Yet he, he should not condone indiscriminate destruction. He should not condone genocide. He should not condone vast contamination of the earth. Another can find great glory in the human body and appreciate the proper place for sex and marriage. And yet if we pervert the good thing through lust, via pornography, or by having an adulterous affair, this is bad. God's goodness is seen in the weapon. His goodness is seen in the human body, sex, marriage. But man's badness is spotted in hateful violence, sexual immorality, and unlawful divorce. The bad is to be found in the sin, and anywhere the sin of man is attempting to use God's good gifts for evil. This is an important distinction. There is a place for wine to make the heart glad, but drunkenness is a sin. Food is for the body and our nourishment and enjoyment. However, gluttony is an abuse of the thing. We can appreciate the acting, character development, and cinematography found in many films and sitcoms, but that does not excuse a blatant promotion of homosexual behavior, the encouragement of drug use, a justification of divorce, or whatever else. It's men steering good toward evil. Some things are more obviously tainted and more easily abused by the sin of man, yet God's goodness still needs to be appreciated. We must not call things bad that God calls good, nor good what God calls bad. Christians can get this confused. They see people abuse something, and I I think this was more of a problem even 20 years ago. They see people abuse something and steer it in some unlawful direction, and then the Christian decides to abandon the things, not just the sin. I've heard Christians condemn many items from the list I read earlier. Not just atomic bombs, but Barbie dolls, baseball. Beer, bikinis, bingo, board games, and blue jeans. Ladies, anyone wearing blue jeans today? It would have been frowned upon. How did they get to that point? It's because we are quick to be critical. Back to Isaiah 44. Certainly God condemns sinful acts in the passage. To make an idol is a sin, as the second commandment teaches, so is the worship of it. However, God intended the raw materials for good. The craftsman Ship of both the blacksmith and the carpenter were meant to serve God's wonderful purposes for dominion, not sin. What were they doing? Look at verse 15 and following. It's a man's fuel for burning. He's talking about the wood. It's a man's fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. But he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire, over it he prepares his meal, he roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, ah, I am warm, I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god, his idol, he bows down to it and worships, he prays to it and says, save me, you are my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see, and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make detestable a thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? What can we learn from this? Well, we learn that the tree which God gave us wood by was meant for many good purposes. God gave it to man for fuel to warm his home. God gave it to kindle a fire and bake bread and roast meat, it says. We're told that in verse 19. But it's more than that. He's given it to us, the tree, that is, to make tables and chairs. He fashions arrows, he builds homes, he makes a bridge, stop signs, jungle gyms, rifle stocks, picture frames, all come from trees. We have learned how to produce paper to write on and publish books and magazines. It does not take very long to think of all the good inherent in the tree, all the good that God intended the tree to be used for. It does not take long at all to think of all the good God has allowed us to discover and invent The question always becomes, will man take that which is good and harness it for sin? Some Christians like to condemn many, many things that people use in their sin. And we hear them use the phrase, you've heard it, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And instead of equating the world with mankind's sin, they begin to equate the world with in the world, not of the world, with anything that mankind has that might be used for sin. In other words, these Christians think that they are not being of the world if they get rid of their TVs, or prohibit movies, or restaurants that have bars in them, or if they refuse to have the internet, or have women wear pants. What's the point of this? They're equating God's gifts with sin. You can't do that. When God wants us to be transformed and not conformed to the pattern of this world, he's speaking about living obedient and not according to our sinful nature. It's our sinful nature that is of this world, not of heaven. It's not Barbie dolls. It's not bayonets. It's not batons. The blacksmith and the carpenter, they sinned by breaking the second commandment. That's the only thing that made the idol of no use or without God's goodness, is that the making of it broke the second commandment. They were harnessing the raw products. That's not bad, but they were sinning in the act of the making of the idol. The idol is worthless. But even in all that, The wood the carpenter cut off to be burned in the fire, it testified to God's goodness. It testified. The piece he used to bake his bread, it was like it was testifying. I'm supposed to bake bread. I'm supposed to keep you warm. I'm not supposed to do, I'm not supposed to be what you're turning me into. The idol. The wood itself testified against him. But as verse 19 says, no one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say. Half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make the detest, a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Conclusion, paragraph. Christian, it's our obligation as a Christian, we ought to try to see the good in people, the good in places and things. For that's, that's, that's the responsibility God has given the man. We're supposed to be the foremost appreciator of his stuff. But then secondly, we should be critically minded. And instead of being black and white critical, start by asking what, what, have, what hath God wrought here? In other words, what good thing has God made here in Joe Biden? That's a tough one for you, isn't it, some of you? In Joe Biden, in Elon Musk. In other words, work. And then humbly discern after that what it is that is still wrong with this person or this thing or this place and then take action to correct it. Take action to correct it. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that we would be, uh, not be foolish, uh, not easily give in to being hypercritical hammers, but be appreciators of all your good things and also critically minded so that we can draw distinctions and, and try to be constructive in making something better that's not right. We can depend upon you. This is your creation, your stuff. We are your people and um, you by your spirit and word affect changes in this, in this world and your kingdom will come and you will will be done, and it will increase that way in the earth. In Jesus' name, we